0: But the only communication we have is yeah. the buoy okay yeah. there's like a rope yeah. tied to a buoy that's and it's, it that's uh, it that's the signal Are we all set? i'm out on a
1: boat having just left the harbor of tarpon springs florida about a 45 minute drive from tampa and captain jim Scaroulis is telling me how he communicates with his divers when they're underwater
0: if he signals one time yeah that means he wants to come up okay two times He's got a net full, we gotta throw the other net and bring that with the full net up. Okay. There's no walkie-talkie
1: and no intercom. All the divers use to communicate is a rope. And this is relevant because I am on this boat to do just that. I am all suited up and ready to go for a dive.
0: Three times is if uh, he's looking for uh, to mark the spot, it's a good spot. Okay. Four times is for a spear gun if he sees a fish. Okay. <laughs> The fifth time is when he sees a shark and he has to run up. I'm only kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing what
1: I'm about to do is going to be pretty safe. But it wasn't always. In fact, it was once incredibly dangerous. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura. A celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. This small town big story episode was produced in partnership with Go USA TV. And today, I am going underwater to learn how Tarpon Springs, Florida became known as the sponge capital of the world. That's right, we are going sponge diving. After this. When you go walking through the aisles of Target or Walmart or wherever, and you're passing through the shampoo, soap, conditioner aisles, you might come across a sign for packages of natural sea sponges. Not the blue or green plastic things that you wash dishes with, but light, sandy, colored, kind of organic shapes. Now, I have to tell you, when you are taking that nice hot shower, lathering up, and... Using a sea sponge, you are getting very cozy with something's exoskeleton. Because that sea sponge in the ocean uh, is a living creature. The sponge's nooks and crannies hold a kind of gooey, invertebrate creature made of jelly. And sponge divers, like Jim Scaroulis, collect hundreds of these at a time from the ocean floor. And once they bring them up in a boat, they have got to evict the goo from its home.
0: That way we uh, pressure wash the the sponges, Yeah. throw them on top in nets, and that way we have the deck space left for the uh, the fresh sponges. Yeah.
1: Done right, it's also actually a sustainable harvest as well. They don't take the whole organism, but just the top, like you would with, say, a, a lettuce plant. And divers spend up to two weeks out there on the ocean, working to fill the boat before returning to shore. Once they've returned... The sponges are washed out, brought to a warehouse, dried, and eventually sold at market. The sponges are naturally antibacterial. They can last for years. When the sponge is dry, it's kind of firm, but then it's soft in water. People swear by them. And that's partly because this practice of sponge diving and and washing yourself with natural sponges has been going on for thousands of years. Sea sponges were used all around the house in ancient Greece. They were used to do things like apply paint, clean up spills. For a long time, fishing them out of the water was a a pretty low-tech operation. You would go out on a boat and get a hook on a pole, find some shallow water, and drag the sponge into the boat. Or, alternatively, you could just jump in, hold your breath, and bring one up by hand. But in the late 1800s, Diving for sponges changed in a pretty big, dramatic, and dangerous way. Two English inventors developed the first diving suits. These are—think of them as kind of proto-spacesuits. They are made of canvas and rubber, and they've got that helmet of brass, copper, and glass— You know this suit. It is the kind of Jules Verne, under the sea, 20,000 leagues kind of suit. But it allowed divers to go deeper and deeper underwater for longer and longer times. And legend has it that a Greek fisherman brought one of these strange new diving suits back to Greece after using it as an employee of a British company in the 1860s. But when he brought this suit back to his home country, it was not exactly embraced by his fellow divers.
2: None of the divers wanted to uh, put on the helmet and go down diving uh, in it. So to embarrass the the men, he had his three-month pregnant wife uh, put on the suit, go down, and show them, quote, how easy it was. So uh, that's when the uh, the whole helmet diving uh, thing started in Greece.
1: That's Nicholas Toth, He's a Tarpon Springs artist who still makes original style dive helmets, like those used by early Greek divers. And I spoke with him at his workshop before I went on my dive.
2: It became very controversial um, and was uh, sometimes referred to as Satan's machine, uh, and all. There were riots. There were people who wanted law, legislation passed to outlaw uh, diving with a helmet, and all because of the the lack of knowledge. And
1: then, lack of knowledge was about the bends basically what happened when divers went very deep and then came up quickly it made these suits extremely dangerous
2: whenever the ships would go out for sponging and these guys they would uh, leave the islands of greece go off the the north coast of africa for six months at a time diving they would take between 10 and 12 divers with them on these journeys Uh, most of the time only half the divers would return and all. So as you can imagine, this was a you know, a devastating impact on the villages and you know and their families and all in pursuit of in pursuit of the sponge.
1: Over time, the Greek divers did master the suits and come to understand depressurization. It was still incredibly dangerous, but more manageable. Meanwhile, Tarpon Springs, Florida was building its own sponge fishing industry. And they too saw that there were opportunities out there in the deep water.
0: And so basically back then, they were working with the the pole and the hook. Mm -hmm. All right, so they were hooking the sponges. Mm -hmm. When they saw that there were fantastic sponges out in deep water, nobody knew how. Yeah. So that's when they brought the Greeks
1: up. In 1905, a Greek sponge buyer working in Tarpon Springs had an idea he got a rich Philadelphia businessman to give him the money to buy a bunch of diving suits. And then he needed experienced divers to go in those suits. So he brought over 500 sponge divers from Greece to run the boats and equipment in Tarpon Springs, Florida.
0: That's why you have this community here, the
1: Greek community. The Greek community in Tarpon Springs became enmeshed in the town. Greek immigrants opened warehouses where sponges were dried and baled, Greek markets opened as well as Greek restaurants featuring home-style food. And just generally, Greek culture permeated every aspect of life in the town.
0: Here, all you're going to find is Nicholas, Yanni, which is John. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yorgos, which is George. Uh That's why I picked Jim, because it's not that... uh...
1: (laughs) As we chat and, and joke, and Jim tells me about his own Greek heritage... I start getting ready for my dive. What do I need to know? I mean, I, I got to experience it in the hard hat, and so I got a sense of it, but no, this is very you're, different. You're, you're going to
0: go down with your regular scuba gear. Okay. Okay, other than you're using your, a your hooker or compressor hose. Oh, there's a line yeah. going back. A up. line yeah. going back. Mm-hmm. And so, so I've got like a, a thing. Yeah, you'll that. have a regulator. Uh okay. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Got it. So you're the one, are you gonna oh, go going to jump? I'm going now. Okay, all it's right. It's me. So basically, you're going to jump first. Okay? okay? And I'll tell you why. Okay. You're going to jump first in case there are any sharks down there. At least my diver is safe. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: good. I appreciate it.
1: Beneath the waves, it is another world. I'm wearing a weighted vest so that I can walk around on the ocean floor. But it takes a little while to figure out how to move down there. You have to walk against the current and lean forward and shuffle. At first, everything is is clouded with silt kicked up from the seafloor. But by walking around in expanding circles, I can escape particles and enter clear areas. It's filled with all of this life, all these strange creatures growing up from the seabed. And they are all around me. I see them all over, these sponges. I climb back on the boat and... I can honestly kind of hardly contain myself. It's wild down there. It is another universe. And you're just walking on the moon. And that's not even the moon because it's filled with life. Like we, we managed to fill that bag pretty, pretty well. That's a crazy, crazy world to be in. This is what Tarpon Springs was built on. That experience. I got to imagine people wow. down there in those old suits. Walking around and doing this, unbelievable. Harvesting sponges is intense. I was only under there for about 20 minutes. But you are using muscles totally differently. You're managing your breathing, your equipment. And after 20 minutes, I was pretty exhausted. And the guys who actually do this professionally, they spend hours and hours down there. Jim says that this... Is one of the reasons it's getting harder to find
0: people who are still interested in doing the work. And unfortunately, it's uh, it's getting to the point where we may have to start bringing up divers again from uh, from Greece.
1: Well, a lot of second or third generation kids still respect the craft. They've got other modern interests, and sponge diving isn't exactly glamorous work.
0: Yeah, it's it's a difficult life. You know, you're out there in the Gulf or wherever you're sponging, and uh, you're stuck out there, it's, uh, once you start bringing up the sponges, that's when the hard work uh, uh, begins. And like I say, unfortunately, the kids nowadays, they, nine o'clock, they wanna sit on the computer, and by 12 o'clock, become millionaires. Yeah. Uh, So it's getting difficult.
1: Well, the future of the sponge diving industry remains uncertain, its impact on Tarpon Springs is unquestionable. It has shaped everything about that community. And so whatever happens, sponge diving will remain central to the place. The artist Nicholas Toth wouldn't have it any other way.
2: There's no place in Greece quite like Tarpon. Uh, there's really no place anywhere quite like Tarpon. It's a combination of of being partly in Greece, in, in the country, and you know, and you're in the U.S. as well, and it's this uh, weird uh, mixture, you know, that seems to work here. Special
1: thanks to Jim Scarulis and Nicholas Toth for sharing their stories about Tarpon Springs with me this summer and to Go USA TV for helping co-produce these small town big story podcast episode. If you want to see a video of me doing this dive and going in one of those crazy brass suits, I did do that actually, uh, you can find it and other episodes at atlasobscura.com slash articles slash small dash town dash big dash story and on Go USA TV. If you didn't get that web link, just look at the show notes for this episode. We also dropped it there. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes
2: Doug Baldinger,
1: Chris Naka,
2: Camille Stanley,
1: Willis Ryder-Arnold,
2: Sarah Wyman,
1: Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss,
2: Devin DeComo, Chika Okoye, Gianna Palmer Tracy Samuelson John Delore
1: Our technical director is Casey Holford This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And I'm Dylan Thuris Wishing you all the wonder in the world I'll see you next time
2: Witness Docs from Stitcher